Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Erin McCoy here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakwe. The city of Parkersburg, West Virginia sits along the beautiful Ohio River, which has long been an important factor in commerce between the eastern and midwestern states. Parkersburg had its first brewery way back in the 1800s. And I think it was 1864, actually. And it was also among the very first breweries in West, or excuse me, the very first cities in West Virginia to have a a new brewery established during the microbrewing era of the 1990s. That brewery at the North End Tavern is still going strong today. And in more recent years, with the explosion of craft beer popularity, a new distribution brewery was established there and appropriately named Parkersburg Brewing Company, actually kind of a namesake for the original brewery back in the 1800s. We're honored to have as guests on our program today, two of the co-founders and owners of the current Parkersburg Brewing. First, we have Dan Curtis. Welcome, Dan. And second, uh, it's Walt Owens. Welcome, Walt, to uh, West Virginia Beer Roads. And also we have with us Aaron McCoy, our co-host. And Aaron, I'm going to throw it over to you. All right. Thank you, Charles. Um, so Dan, let's start out before the beginning of the brewery. How did you two originally meet and get to know each other? Well, so <laughs> Walt's actually married to my sister. Um, so, oh. Yeah, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, Walt's Family my brother-in-law. <laughs> um, so we met, we met that way. Um, Walt was actually home brewing before I was and got me interested in it. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting a little bit, going a little bit overboard with it, given my engineering and obsessive compulsive uh, <laughs> personality and uh, actually built a small electric brewery in my basement, um, you know, very similar to, you know, a small pilot system that we have now. Um, and then, you know, Walt and I brewed several times together and, you know, started to have several conversations about how much we enjoyed it and thought we were doing a pretty decent job and, and you know, decided to give it a try for real. Sounds good. Um, so, Walt, opening a commercial brewery is a big step from home brewing. When did you first decide that you wanted to make that jump? So, you know, it, it is a big step. Um, and, you know, it's not for the lighthearted either, right? Yeah, I'm sure. You have to be committed on this, uh, both from a product perspective and a, a business perspective. Um, but to be, to be honest, I think when Dan and I were actually initially homebrewing together, exchanging ideas, um, it became pretty clear that from a product perspective, uh, between his background in engineering and what we had both taught each other in brewing, my background in chemistry and, and, and uh, quality management, um, it, it became pretty clear that we had the right concepts, the right aspects to actually uh, pull a business together. It really boiled down to how do we finance it. Uh, and I think we, we put our collective heads together with the, the folks that we brought to uh, the management team and the ownership team. Um, to give this a go, uh, to initially finance the, the more of an experiment, to be quite honest, back in 2015, 2016, um, which progressed, quite frankly, into a s- successful run for us uh, since we opened in September of 16. 
why did you believe you could be successful when opening the brewery? So, you know, from my perspective, it's all about um, the people and the talent you can bring together. Uh, but it's also about the product. Um, we are very science driven in what we do in the brewery. And I think that reflects strongly in the products that we produce. Uh, we like to be a bit edgy in our recipe designs um, and to, you know, be willing to take risks in, in the types of products that we produce and also not be afraid to stick your neck in a noose, so to speak, to go out there and put your product on the line against the top competition in the world. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I think if you're, if you're willing to take those steps, you're willing to be a little bit edgy, you're willing to be aggressive and not be afraid of risk. Uh, and you bring a good, great product to market. Um, I think those are the key ingredients that really have weighed into our success. And I, I think you've had a, a few, probably a few, uh, pro well, there's been a lot of progress since you opened. I know the physical plant there, your equipment has grown. Kind of give us a quick rundown on where you stand with your brew house and your fermentation space and all that, uh, everything that's down there and the actual making of the product side. Yeah, so when we opened in 2016, we actually had what, 28 barrels worth of fermentation capacity on a seven barrel brew house. Um, we're still on our seven barrel brew house, but now we have 63, uh, 63 barrels of fermentation capacity, and uh, we're frequently operating a, uh, a one barrel pilot system for a tap room and, and, you know, test batches that we've got currently three barrels of fermentation capacity there. So, um, significantly grown the, the seven barrel brew house fermentation capacity. Um, we also started out, um, you know, kegging only and about 18 months ago, we added a canning line that we can do about a case a minute. So, um, those were really the two big expansion activities that we've done in the last few years. And how many employees are you up to now on the brew house side? Oh, so in the brew house. And distribution too. I would count anybody that's, you know, on that side. Yeah. So, I mean, in the brewery side of the business, we've got about five employees right now. Um, and then of course on the brew pub side, being more restaurant driven, there's, you know, probably 12 or 13 there. Yeah. You mentioned, of course, the brew pub and that's another the brew pub and restaurant, which is another significant side to this business operation. Maybe give us a little rundown on how it's set up or the size of the place, how many, you know, the capacity and all that. Yeah. So, you know, pre COVID, uh, we were at about a hundred, um, seating capacity. Um, we've added some seating. Um, you know, we're, we're, technically at 50% pre-COVID seating. Um, however, we've been able to add some outdoor seating and some seating in areas that we didn't previously have seating. So we're operating around 75 to 80% of the seating capacity that we had pre-COVID after uh, making some changes there. Um, you know, we have a full menu, full kitchen staff. Um, you know, it's a full service restaurant, um, you know, where we, we serve some really good food um, and of course all of our beers. Yeah, how many days a week are you open? So we're open five days a week. Um, we're closed on Sundays and Mondays. We're open Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday from 4 to 10 p.m. 
and and so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from 4 to 10 p.m. and then Friday and Saturday from 11:30 a.m. to 11 p.m. All right. Well, I don't want to get too far into this as far as details until I get something to drink. So guys, I think it's time for a Parkersburg Brewing beer, don't you think? Yeah. Let's get started. Tell us about what beer we're going to try today. I actually have two here, if you can see them. Yeah. Which one do you want to try first, Aaron? Let's go with Luponic. Yeah, go ahead, Walt. Yeah, so Luponic Rhapsody. Um, very classical New England uh, IPA. So you should get some haziness in the pour. As you're pouring this, what I would tell you to do is to um, pour it about three quarters and then give it a good swirl in the can to get the rest of the good stuff off the bottom. Um, and uh, what you get in this beer is very little what I, what I typically term hot bite uh, in IPAs. Uh, it's a very smooth drinking IPA. And as a lot of New England's, you have some fantastic stone fruit um, and tropical hops flavors in the beer. Uh, and classically, it should be a little cloudy, as you're seeing there in the, in the New England style. Um, you should fairly mild on the head, uh, head retention, so you get some great flavors. And, and actually a really great nose and aroma that comes off of this beer. Um, this is really done with some massive hop additions in the late portions of the process and the whirlpool process. Uh, and then, um, although I'm not gonna give the secret ingredient away, um, it does utilize a very unique uh, fruit during per uh, fermentation uh, to give it a little bit more of a tropical boost. Thanks, well, it is delicious. Well, that's a secret um, ingredient, Walt, uh, that whatever that, <laughs> unnamed fruit would be. I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know. This is the first time I've had this beer and it's very good. I'm sorry, Aaron, go ahead. That's okay. Um, much like starting any small business, starting a brewery is going to be filled or can be filled with pitfalls and difficulties. So what were some of your most challenging experiences in getting Parkersburg Brewing up and running? Maybe something that if you had to do over, you might do differently. Dan, you go first. <laughs> oh, wow. we don't make it easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I can think of something. I just don't know that I want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> it can be vague if you need to be. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, honestly, as a, as a startup brewery, right. I, you know, we had spent a lot of time and a lot of effort in developing a business plan and, and looking at, at all the pluses and minuses and the pitfalls. And I think honestly, you know, one of the hardest decisions for a small brewery like us is, do you self-distribute or do you, do you get involved with distributors? And, and it's a very, very difficult decision to make. Um, you know, we attempted to do self-distribution in the beginning. The problem is there's just too many trees between towns in this beautiful state of ours, um, which requires a lot of driving and, and a lot of resources. So, um, you know, we ended up going with the distribution model to help us reach the areas that we couldn't reach on our own. So I think, I think those are some things that, you know, you really don't think about when you're putting the business model together that have a significant impact, you know, on, on how you get your product out there as well as, you know, impact on margins and everything else. 
What about you, Will? Do you want to address that? You know, I think Dan probably knocked the number one issue that I think um, if we looked at it with the glasses and lenses we have today, we may have a, you know, a slightly different perspective on how we manage that and maybe sure. be a little broader in our thought process around distribution. Um, but I, I think the other thing that really that we have learned, um, and it, it's something that you really need a crystal ball for. And I, I spoke earlier about taking risks. And one thing we may have thought about earlier in our life cycle was expanding sooner. Um, but it's very tough to predict, especially in this West Virginia market, uh, which I, I frankly believe is probably one of the toughest craft beer markets in the United States. Um, but we, we've certainly you know, found ourselves um, sometimes scrambling on capacity. And, and I think we've solved a number of those problems this year, uh, even during a pandemic. Um, but nonetheless, that, that's certainly something that in retrospect, you, you, you think about capacity and volume maybe in a different way. Yeah, sure. Well, the brewing industry is definitely one of the most highly regulated businesses in the country. What's your experience with our regulators here in West Virginia been? That is a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I'll let you go, Walt. <laughs> yeah, I figured you would let me handle this one. <laughs> um, look, I think that West Virginia, it's not a matter of the regulators. I think our, our uh, working relationship with the West Virginia ABCA is actually quite good, if not remarkable. Um, we, we, we do get responses. Um, I mean, I'll just say, I mean, Dan and I were able to get a beer approval today, and I think we submitted all the necessary paperwork less than a week ago. Uh, and that's just because of, you know, good solid communications and frankly, making sure your documentation's top notch when it goes in and that you're not making right. it difficult on the reviewers. Right. I think that the West Virginia regulators, the ABCA themselves, are probably a bit handcuffed in this state by old and maybe outdated regulation. Sure. Yeah, I agree. And I think that We've we, addressed that somewhat in some yeah, previous episodes. And I think it's critical for us as an industry uh, in the state of West Virginia to look outside to our neighboring states, uh, some of the states that have demonstrated great success in craft beer and how their regulations operate and how they interact with the, the, the resident brewers. Um, and I'm not saying anything that I haven't said uh, to our uh, regulators in, in Charleston. Um, so uh, I think it's recognized and I think there's opportunities for us to make legislative change to, to broaden the industry in the state of West Virginia. Dan, you have anything to add? Uh, I think he summed it up pretty good. All right. Well, overall, what has been your all's biggest um, takeaway so far as far as your biggest learning experience? Well, we'll start with you. Biggest learning experience for me, um, and I think actually for our business, is management of the distribution network. And we're still learning. Sure. Well, it's ever changing, you know, based on the market. So I can understand that. How yeah. about you, Dan? Yeah, I have to agree with that. And I think related to that is, um, and it's definitely that distribution relationship related is um, forecasting. Um, and, and making sure that, that you're producing the right amount of the right beer every time. Uh, it's, a, it's a real difficult puzzle to put together. Yeah, so when you first started uh, your business plan and decided that 
you would go to be a distribution focused brewery, not just focused on your tap room. I mean, there are a lot of small breweries that just basically do tap room sales and everything, you know, 90% of their stuff's done out of their tap room. We got a lot of them in West Virginia like that. You made that decision to, to be not that. Why initially do you think that you wanted to, to go into distribution? Well, so I'll, I'll jump on that wall, then you can chime in. So, sure. you know, our vision um, is much bigger than, you know, a site on Market Street in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Uh-huh. You know, we love that site. Um, we love our employees. We love what we've done there. But even from the beginning, you know, distribution is the largest part of our business plan, our model, and our vision. And we really intend to be a multi-state regional brewery, um, you know, here at some point in the near future, not just, you know, West Virginia and a little bit of Ohio. So our vision is much, much larger than than where we're at today. Yeah, I, I, I know you, I, I, you're in Ohio now, right? In at least a few counties yeah, so or you're... Yeah, so we're licensed in Ohio now, um, still working to move some product there. All of that happened right in the middle of COVID, uh, which really slowed things down. But uh, yeah, we're we're definitely moving in that direction. Now, you're in all 55 counties of West Virginia? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, you know, a lot to to tackle anyway, because like you said earlier, when you try to do self-distribution, you find out how big the state is and how far, (laughs) how far apart accounts are. Right. Yeah. And it's hard to make a hard to make money doing that. But I mean, I know a lot of people are trying that and, you know, I guess the book's still out of whether it's going to be a real success for other breweries, but uh, you guys, you know, went with, regular beer distributors, a network of those. And, and I think as in any area where you have to have multiple distributors, and that's a thing in West Virginia, you, you, most people don't just have one or two, they'll have four or five or six or, you know, in different parts of the state. And, and that managing that process, it, it's complicated as you've kind of alluded to. And, and, and I think it also then, ha- you know, it also takes you a little away or it can from your retailer because you don't directly deal with retailers as much because the distributors handle that. Um, yeah. How do you handle that though, that relationship with retailers and, and yeah. making yourself known there? So I think that's, that's a really important uh, point, Charles, um, that, you know, we've attempted to manage from the beginning, but I think, you know, become smarter as we've learned. Um, and that is we've got to have our own presence in the field. Um, you know, we have to have a sales guy out there in the field visiting accounts, right, asking questions, being up on what their needs are, what their interests are, making sure they know what we have available, what's coming out new, um, solving any issues that they might have, whether it be with us or our distributor, right, really trying to be a problem solver and pushing the name in the market. Walt? No, I think that's exactly right. I think it's about the brand representation by a sales representative or a group of sales representatives in the market that can actually move move the product, give us exposure. It's also a customer service aspect, as Dan mentioned. It allows us to get feedback. Uh, what are our actual end customers seeing, feeling, and tasting with the product and resolving their issues? It makes us a better partner for them in the long run, even though we're separated from them by the distributor to an extent. Um, But I think at least within our distribution network, uh, the sales representation into the retail accounts has actually been quite welcome. Well, I think uh, that's something I'm glad to hear you respond that way because it's something that small breweries often don't put a lot of attention on. And 
uh, too often, I mean, they, they hire a distributor or sign with a distributor and then they don't really manage their, their stuff anymore. You know, it, they, and that's a mistake. It takes marketing. You have to market no matter whether you have a distributor or not. And I think you guys realize that you've had good Bruce, Bruce, great guy. Uh, yeah. Help get me some beer. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I gotta gotta get a plug in for him. And then yeah. you used to have uh, Amber. Uh, I remember her, a, a good mm -hmm. market representation out at festivals and doing yeah. uh, a meeting and greeting and working the tap room too. I mean, I don't know. You've had, and I don't know all your people, but I think you've had some really good people in that. And I'm glad you do appreciate that the need for for that level of uh, representation. Yeah, it's actually uh, Charles. I think more important than we can afford to give it um, the, the focus it needs right now, right? I would love to have more people in the field with an even bigger presence that just takes time. Yeah, no, no doubt. Just took the words right out of my mouth, Dan. Then one well, last thing. Well, oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I, I got one last thing about <laughs> distribution. And yep. that is the challenge. And we see this, it's not just in West Virginia. Listen, I've been to plenty of other states and gotten beer that was a little old on the shelf. It's like, that's a, a real struggle for craft beer because there's a store that wants to have 200 beers and they probably can sell 150 of them, you know, and how, is there anything you do to deal with, uh, you know, is it code dating, open code dating? I mean, how do you handle letting, you know, being transparent with, with freshness in your canned product? Yeah, so that's that's a good question, Charles. So we have lot numbering um, on our cans. Um, it, I'll call it smart lot numbering. It's not real obvious to the consumer um, what that lot number means, but but it, it tells us when it was brewed, where it was brewed. Um, you should see it there stamped I on do. the can. Yes, I so, did. Yeah. So what's the first couple of numbers on that? Uh, it says lot. It's written over types. So it's hard to see. Like zero maybe, nine. Oh, yeah. Zero nine. And then CPM 10 or something like that. 10, yes, yeah. Yeah. So zero nine is September. So that was that was brewed just just in the last few weeks. And you can tell it. <laughs> it tastes, yeah. it tastes yeah. fresh. Yeah. Yeah, so so we do have that. Now, you know, I'll tell you one of the learnings, um, you know, that we've had with with distributors um, is, you know, good communication with them on what they have in their inventory, you know, and making sure that that we're communicating on age of what they have, what they're moving. And if it's if it's getting to the point where it's too old and we talk about, hey, we need to bring that back. All right. Well, there's a number of things that have gone really well for Parkersburg Brewing. Dan, what brewery accomplishment, accomplishments, excuse me, are you most proud of? Well, I mean, I think the most obvious one is the gold medal at the World Beer Cup with Cell Block 304. Right. Yeah, um, that's not too, uh, that's not too many people do that here in West Virginia. <laughs> no, I, that was a great accomplishment for us. I mean, that was in 2018. We were two years old. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's an interesting story in itself because, you know, uh, Walt and I couldn't be at the at the award ceremony and I was actually live streaming it at home and it was getting late. Right. Because, I mean, the brown ale category was was near the end of the ceremony and, you know, my wife had already gone to bed. I'm sitting here at the computer downstairs <laughs> watching and they get to brown ale and they say, 
okay, the bronze goes to, and then the silver goes to. And I actually got up from the computer and started to walk upstairs and said, well, maybe next time, because I really didn't, I wasn't anticipating a goal. <laughs> and I was about oh, halfway up man. the stairs when I heard Parkersburg Brewing Company sell block 304, and I just collapsed on the stairs. Uh, you know, it, I can't it, imagine. Uh, I, yeah, I it, can't imagine. That night was a whirlwind. I don't think I slept a wink and probably finished a few cell blocks and a, at least a half a bottle of uh, tequila. So <laughs> good evening. <laughs> That's funny. It's good, though. What about Walt? How, how do you or what do you feel like is your um, best accomplishment or biggest, largest accomplishment for well, Parkersburg Brewing? I, it, it, it's very hard to over overstate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that one's a tough one. Um, I mean, to, to be, number one, to win a gold medal at the World Beer Cup, even as a, an experienced brewery, is, is a challenge. Competition stiff. Uh, you're dealing with judges from all over the world, breweries from all over the world. Um, and, and look, the, they're good. They, they, these aren't your, your, your mom and pop tap rooms that are putting no, beers in not. the beer cup. We're, they're not. We're talking about the best of the best. Uh, I mean, they call it the Olympics of beer for a reason. <laughs> and um, you know, to to come away with a gold was fantastic, and and you know, especially on a beer style, right? Well, that's a hard style. Initially, whether we should even produce it, but as we gained more experience with that particular product and and made the modifications that we thought it needed to have, um, I mean, look, it, not only is it a a world class beer and and still considered you know the best brown ale in the world. Um, you know, it, it, it's our number one seller. Um, Which it wasn't before the World Beer Cup, right? Um, but now it is. And, and I, I know I'm buttoning in here, Walt, but I got to no, add, because I, I think this is an important point for us that we take some pride in with the World Beer Cup win. And that is that beer that was submitted to the World Beer Cup was produced at a commercial scale. It wasn't a small batch controlled scenario where we're only brewing for the World Beer Cup. It was made on our commercial system with every other batch of cell block that we make and distribute. And, and I, think, I, I, I think that it, that says yes. something. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that does say a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, if I had to put a number two in accomplishments, honestly, I think it's a breadth of product line that we, we can offer around the course of a given year. I mean, we, we, operate in unique styles. We're not afraid to go out there and uh, do something a little crazy. And, and we've done that. Um, yeah. Okay. Hey, I count, uh, you've got eight core brands, I think, or year round brands. And then I think, what do you have six or seven, what you might call seasonals, I guess. Is that yeah. pretty yeah. standard? Yeah. So I, I've got to take a second. Cause I think, I think my number two, um, and it's really COVID related. And that is, um, you know, how we've been able to turn on a dime and get creative and survive this monster so far, because it has been a significant challenge. And I think that's probably a topic later, so I won't talk too it much is. about it now, <laughs> but, but, but that's probably my number two. Yeah. Sure. Oh, of course. Well, we've been talking about cell block, 304, the brown ale, the American brown ale that won the gold medal at World Beer Cup. And um, I'm, I'm dying to taste it. I happen to have a can here, Aaron, you've got one. Uh, we're going we're gonna to open one up while you, because we like to give you time to talk about a few of your 
your beers sure. you want to highlight. And then w and whether this is one you were going to highlight, you got to highlight it now because you got to tell us about the beer and how it's made and while I try it. Go ahead, Walt. Oh, are you kidding me? I like doing the descriptions, Dan. Yeah. Um, so look, you're gonna you're gonna pour a um, a very traditional brown ale, um, in in terms of its look. Uh, you're not going to get a very traditional brown ale in terms of what you're going to taste. Um, what what you sh what you should get in this particular product is, and we like to call it. We kind of coined the term with uh, another group that it's really a three part sip. Um, think of it almost as, as a whiskey, right? You get a very nice toastiness uh, on the front end of the product. Um, the palate gets uh, a little bit sweetened in the middle of the taste, and then you've got a bit of hot bitterness to clean it all up again for your next yeah, sip. I definitely like that uh, finish with that hot bitterness that comes across in this brown ale, yeah. Yeah, it pours really well. And I guess that kind of makes it an American brown ale versus an English style. Yeah. More. Yeah. Yeah, so oh, wow. The, you know, the, the honey sweetness in it, you know, it's enough residual there to give you that bit of interesting, uh, you know, characteristic in the middle of the, of the taste. So what hops are you using in, in this? A pretty standard bittering hop of, or American, American? Well, they're hop? actually, they're actually English bittering hops that we okay. use. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Delicious. Yeah, I mean, you're using an English bittering hop, but it's a lot more bitter than an English brown ale. <laughs> yeah, we're we were a little more aggressive with our hop additions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. But it, but it, but like uh, what we're saying, it's got that touch of sweetness that comes through, and that malt sweetness that comes through along with a chocolate, and that bitterness yeah. really is a nice balance. I, I mean, I, I, I find I admire that. That's a that's a beauty. I do too, and you, you really do get a lot of chocolate and malt and, and, and not too bitter, it, it's blended really well. I'm, congratulations, this is a, a really great beer. Yeah. Thank you. So um, I don't wanna you know, take over like telling you what beers you wanna, you wanna talk about. So um, Dan I'm, or Walt, whichever one wants to take a lead on it, another couple of beers that you'd like to highlight uh, with us today. I'll let Dan take yeah. first pick of this one. Yeah, so I'm gonna talk about one that we actually just got approved today um that's going to be what's that you stole mine yeah <laughs> um, i've got another one of those backups so. <laughs> yeah, that, that we just got approved today it's actually going to be initially a you know small batch um brew only available in the tap room we're going to be releasing it on halloween um and i know charles you had sent me an email earlier about if we were going to be doing any oktoberfest beers and we decided to go yeah. in a little different direction this year so you know, we had been doing Oktoberfest styles. So here on Halloween, we're going to be releasing um, a beer called Ring of Fire. And uh, that beer is a, a, a double chocolate chili stout um, that we use some uh, very aggressive uh, hot peppers in. Um, nice chocolate aroma, great chocolate taste. Double but, chocolate, though. You're, why is it double chocolate? Well, it's double chocolate because we we inter well we introduce chocolate in the boil and we introduce chocolate in the fermenter. So, are there um, some chocolate malts in there? I mean, the the roasted. Uh, yeah, there's there, so there's chocolate malts. There's chocolate. There's yeah. We, real yeah. real chocolate then, like yeah, additions yeah. of ch cocoa nibs or or something or. 
Yeah, yeah. Yes, everything you just said. Yeah, yeah. Nibs, <laughs> Hershey's nibs, chocolate, syrup. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> nibs, chocolate, malt. It, it, we hit it pretty hard with chocolate, and then we got pretty aggressive with uh, with some of the peppers that we've used. So I'm real excited about that one. Um, it's got a great aroma, great flavor, a nice sting at the end, but not enough sting that you don't want another sip. So I'm looking forward to that one. Well, I'm sorry. We're not having our hops and heat uh, festival down in Charleston uh, this October. Well, you know, that would be a perfect beer for, for that festival, yeah. but that we're not yeah. having. So yeah, that's great. Aaron, did you have a comment? Yeah, I, I, I'll, the only thing I'll add to that is, as Dan said, it uses some aggressive peppers. It actually uses a mixture of the world's hottest peppers. Um, oh, good. Uh, peppers. Oh. We were yeah. being edgy. So, we were edgy. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean. But you didn't put too much in there because I know the no. peppers can overpower everything and no, just wipe you out. No, no, no. It's, it's very well balanced. So okay. it's probably as well balanced as the bitterness on that cell block 304. Mm. Um, nice. Mm-hmm. And and th- that's something that that you know we're very careful about when we craft these recipes, um, you know, is is balance, quality, um, flavor, aroma, um, and and I think with this particular beer, we got pretty creative on how we were able to control that, uh, you know, because with hot peppers, you know, they're pretty variable, and it's, it's oh, hard, sure. oh, yeah. hard to be able to control that. And I think we've come up with a pretty good process to where. You know, we can we can consistently recreate that beer at the same level. Now say the name of that beer again. Ring of Fire. Ring, Ring of Fire. I can't wait to fire. see that label. Yeah, yeah. You know, we definitely it'll, want it'll, pictures of that one. It, it'll be on Facebook here probably later this week or early next week. All right. All right. And uh, beer number two or another beer. beer. I'll, I'll take beer number two. Um, another unique beer style for us. Um, it's our Blackberry Sage Saison. Uh, oh, Hunt. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. This was a beer that, um, you know, Dan and I designed um, actually based upon a tea that I had had uh, that was a Blackberry Sage tea. And we why not do this with a saison? It'd be a perfect combination. And I think we joked around one Christmas that it's either going to be fantastic or it's just going to taste like sewage in a can. <laughs> um, you never know. You never yeah, know. Sometimes you don't. But it, it turned out to be really a fantastic beer uh, with a nice reddish hue to it when you pour it. It gives you some great saison aroma yeah. and, and flavors from the yeast. You pick up the blackberry and you definitely pick up the sage in the back of the sip. Uh, it to us it was such a good representation of a unique saison that uh, in 2020 it was destined for the World Beer Cup. Unfortunately, that was canceled. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that would have been one of our entries uh, in in that competition this year uh, because we had just had so much confidence in in the product and just really, in my opinion, a fantastic beer. Yeah. Yep. Uh, any. That's two. Any third one, or you want to? Any? Yeah. So I think I think I think we do need to make another plug. Do you want to? Do you want to take this one, Walt? I, I think you know where I'm going. Wow, I can't predict you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, Dan? I'm going to read your mind here. I'll let you take it, Dan. <laughs> well. So I so you're just being polite because I know you know what I'm talking about. Um, and that is... Uh, oh, you, you know, have something new on the horizon here. Well, no, I mean, it, 
I'm, I'm sure you've seen it in the market, Charles, and it's, it's not necessarily a beer, but, um, you know, we are quite proud of what we've done with the hard seltzer um, product. Yeah, I was, well, I was wanting to talk about that. And if you hadn't brought it up, but since you did, just go ahead and talk, talk about your uh, hard seltzer. Well, just, yeah, just so, so I'll let Dan go, but I just want to be clear. I, I did know where his mind was going, but I have to give him a ton of credit on this. I mean, he picked this up as kind of a pet project for us, ran this thing soup to nuts right down into the product design, uh, process design, did everything. And, and I will tell you, it is a fantastic product, but it would be yeah. just well, we're we talk about his efforts on this thing. Yeah, we need to know more about this because you brought it up that we have to hear. I think the craft beer community wants to hear, you know, what's in it. What is a seltzer? I mean, you know, it doesn't really describe what it is just by that word. So I would hope that you could tell us a little bit about how you make that this product. Yeah, so so I'll talk a little bit about that. But I think the first statement I need to make is right. One of the biggest concerns that we had um, when we started to work on this seltzer line was, you know, that, that we didn't want to give the, a wrong impression to the craft beer community, right? That we were giving up on craft beer and, and putting all of our efforts into seltzer. And, and I think, I think we've been able to successfully do that. But I think the key part to this seltzer is, is it's truly a craft product like our beers. Um, and as you'll see on the cans, when you see it in the market, it stays right on the can brewed not spiked um so this product is it's made from scratch it's 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 a craft product um that we brew in the same equipment that that you know we we brew our beers on um and it took some r and d and some development work on our end to figure out how to do it right how to get the flavors right how to get the product water clear um but you know i think we've been quite successful in doing that and honestly We've got some very, very good feedback, um, you know, not only from consumers in the market, but distributors and people outside of the state, um, you know, and, and comparing it, you know, to other national brands. And, you know, I think that product has has a real good future ahead of it. Um, well, I know I you have, more, a, you've started with four flavors, right? Yeah. Uh, at least yeah. what I've seen so far. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we currently have four flavors. And I think one thing that we did with this, one thing we did with this product launch that was at a, a more obsessive compulsive level, if you will, than, than a lot of our beers is we spent a lot of time in consumer testing and product development and tasting panels. Um, we got a ton of information from people when we were starting to put this together because it was such a different product that we wanted to make sure when we did it and when we launched it, it was right. It was what we wanted and it met the market needs. And um, I, I'm super proud of the product. Um, it's truly a craft product. Um, you know, I'm. Okay. You're, you're yeah. going around it. It's a craft product. How's it made? Well, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, fermented sugar-based product that's brewed in our brew brew house yeah most um, of them are like are that yeah 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 um but where do you know, get your flavorings i mean how do you and there's a wide range of flavorings from inexpensive to extremely uh expensive how do you yeah, how so, do you decide so we've actually so you know we we tested and uh 
you know, analyzed flavors from a large array of suppliers. Um, and through our tasting panels, um, you know, one supplier really stood out based on the, uh, the information that we got from the consumers. And, um, you know, we were able to, to partner with this supplier. And actually, one of our flavors is a custom flavor that they didn't have on the shelf that they were able to develop for us based on our needs. Uh, would that be hibiscus peach? The hibiscus punch? No. It oh, would punch. Actually, I'm sorry. It's not peach. Punch. It, it would actually be the green apple. Um, oh. Okay. Yeah, there, okay. there are green apple flavors out there, but none of them were exactly what we wanted. Um, yeah. and, That's and a tough flavor. Able, it is. And they were able yeah. to, to custom produce that for us with the flavor and the aroma that we were looking for. Well, there you have it. Uh, Parkersburg Brewing has a has a uh, seltzer on the market right now. And what's the line called? Make sure I get the name right. Well, it's just Parkersburg Brewing Company Hard Seltzer. We uh, okay. we 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 batted around different names for that, and and decided that you know we weren't going to give it a name like we did our beers. We were just going to call it Parkersburg Brewing Company Hard Seltzer. And, and describe your target market for this product. I was going to say, where is it? <laughs> Yeah, so so it's actually interesting. Um, this market is a lot more diverse than you would initially think. Um, you know, you've got your younger crowd, right, that really likes the seltzers, but there's a growing market for seltzers in the golf community. Um, you know, guys out on the golf course, they want oh. something um, to drink, but they don't want a heavy beer. Um, you know, something light, refreshing. Um, yeah, that's a that's a really <laughs> bigger market than I thought it was. That 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 continues to grow. I mean, yeah. it's five percent ABV, one hundred and two calories, and two carbs. And, and right, you know, that, that's the that's the attraction of the yeah. product. And you've got so so you've got those communities. You've got the low carb community. You've got the lower calorie community and then you've got the gluten-free community because you know we're able to produce this beer and and verify it through outside lab analytical testing that that it's gluten-free so yeah and i think oh, wow that is something that is important uh not only as a marketing uh tool but but it's uh what people don't rec necessarily realize it because it's sold by a beer distributor or a beer uh, manufacturer that it right. doesn't have malt in it right. per se. I, I don't, yeah, obviously not. Yeah. And we go through a rigorous cleaning process before we brew the seltzer to ensure that there's no gluten left in our process. Um, and have been able to verify that through, like I said, outside testing. Um, and, you know, we've talked about, we played around with gluten-free beers, but I got to tell you, they are a bear to make. Um, so, you know, having a gluten-free product in a seltzer, at least now we've got a good offering in that market. Yeah, well, that's that's good to hear. And I appreciate you explaining that because uh, it's a little a mystery. And a lot of us that either homebrewers or all, we don't really know what's in a seltzer. We can't make them. You know, it has to, it's a process at least that it's a little harder than and, and a little different from your traditional malt-based brewing. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Aaron, go ahead. Yeah, um, even in our little tiny region of the country, we have so many small breweries and each one is obviously trying to make a name for themselves. So no little brewery can be great at everything. I'm curious what you guys at Carkersburg Brewing want to be the most known for. Like, how would you describe your primary focus? 
So, well, I'll let you go after me. Um, but I, to me, as an engineer and as a scientist, the most important thing that we're known for, and, and I think this is what brings customers back, is quality and consistency, right? You can make a good product, but if it's different every time you make it and you don't know what you're going to get, you're right. not going to be able to drive that return customer. So right. uh, to me, using the science that we know and we're accustomed to, um, to be able to make a high quality product that's the same from batch to batch is extremely important. You know, I don't know if there's any other small craft breweries in West Virginia that have the capability that we put in, but you know, we have the capability to do IBU testing in-house. And that's super important to us to be able to check not only our hops, but our products, right? And, and is the bitterness level the same between batches and has anything changed? And it's a great tool. So whenever we can afford the science, <laughs> you know, we use it. Um, there's a lot of other things I'd love to be doing that we don't have the money to buy the equipment for. But um, I, I, I think that's, that's key for me to be known for. Yeah. How about you all? Uh, once again, I, I would have, you know, it, to, for me, it's consistency. I think we've demonstrated we can produce some great tasting beers. But if you can't make those batch to batch in an identical fashion, it really doesn't mean anything. Right. Uh, and uh, I think that gets back to our process design and really the science we put behind uh, the brewing uh, process itself and the ingredients. That's um, how we handle our water. It's how we measure our in-process parameters um, and really how we control our fermentations. Um, so I, mean, I just was saying that, Walt, you said you had a background in chemistry? I'm a, I'm a chemist by training. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, Dan, uh, what is that, uh, engineer, engineer, chemical engineer? Yeah, I'm a chemical engineer. Yeah, so that, is, that speaks a lot, speaks volumes there. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Walt. No. Uh, you know, those are really the, the passion areas for Dan and I. Uh, I mean, look, sure. it, beer is typically what, on average, 95% water. Mm -hmm. Can't control your water, you don't have a good product. Yep. Agreed. Well, we're obviously in a very challenging time. I know earlier we mentioned COVID and, you know, we've all been talking about COVID for what seems like forever. Um, but with the pandemic and all, how would you describe your near-term priorities as far as how has COVID affected your business and obviously how has that changed your, your goal for your uh, business goals? Yeah, so I mean, I think, I, and Walt, I'll let you go after me again, I keep jumping in, but um, you know, I think, I think it slowed us down a little bit, right, on, on our long-term goals and our vision, but but I think we've we've you know rolled with the punches and been creative where we needed to be. And you know, to be honest with you, um, you know, when we were shut down uh, from a restaurant perspective, you know, to to roll into you know services like DoorDash where we can provide the same type of services, and then the governor signing that emergency order where we could actually deliver beer. Um, right. You know, th those things made a big difference. Sure. Um, you know, it was a struggle, um, but then now that we're back open, right? Yes, it's not 100% seating capacity, but from a restaurant slash brew pub perspective, we have knocked it out of the park. I mean, we've taken this opportunity 
to really get better um, at managing costs, at managing the taproom operations, and our revenues are in very good shape from a taproom perspective. Now, to be honest, wholesale is a little different story, um, especially with Morgantown shut down. Um, you know, oh, Mor- right. Morgantown is a is one of one of our premier sales spots. So we've had to um, shift our wholesale distribution focus more away from kegs and more into cans, oh, yeah. which is is also a challenge when there's an aluminum can shortage. So right. Um, you know, we've had, we heard a little about that as well. Yeah, so we've had to manage that. But, you know, I think looking at where we're at, looking at where the issues are and, and how we, you know, morph, if you will, um, to, to be able to handle that challenge until we get, get back to normal um, is something that, that I think we've done at a, at a pretty reasonable pace and not drug our feet to make the changes we needed to make to be able to survive. You know, uh, you know, when you look at it, look, it's unprecedented, right? Everybody says that. It's probably overstated and or understated. I'm not sure which. Uh, it's just the environment we live in. I mean, I, I speak to my colleagues in Ireland today, and they're going through a national lockdown again. So, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I think we've taken advantage also of, of the pandemic to make changes in our business and, and the way we think about our business. Um, I mean, with what Dan has done in the tap room um, to promote not just cost management, but even to promote sales and getting people to come in to, to sit and feel comfortable and safe. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. In the tap room has actually been a tremendous success for us. Um, on the wholesale side, I agree. Wholesale sales are down. Look, I mean, in, from 2016 through um, the first quarter of 2020, we were a double-digit growth business, um, and in the state of West Virginia, new to craft beer, that's unheard of. Um, you now the pandemic hits. Obviously, it hits us in wholesale, but we've been able to shift our attention in that distribution business to canning, as Dan said. And, and thank goodness we made the decision a year and a half ago oh, yeah. to actually yeah. bite the bullet, purchase the necessary capital to be able to can product in-house ourselves. Um, and we've, we've also taken advantage of the pandemic to expand our, our, our brewery operations. Um, while we have time to, to focus on, you know, re-engineering the facility, replumbing the facility, expanding that capacity, bringing the seltzer on board, um, it, it gave us an opportunity to take a step back and look in the mirror and think a little bit. And, and I'd like to think that we actually did a, fine job from a business perspective and managing our way through that and actually stabilizing, stabilizing the business in a very unstable environment. Yeah. And I think, I think by doing that, you know, when we get through this, we're going to be much stronger and a much better position than we were when we went into COVID. So, you know, I, I do believe we've really leveraged where we're at and, and tried to take as much of an opportunity, make as much of an opportunity out of a bad situation that, that we could. Mm-hmm. So let's right. talk about now uh, coming out of COVID. Um, if we project a year ahead from now or something, you know, that maybe things are back to normal. And uh, give me a couple of uh, quick snapshots of the priorities for growth, where they're going to be, you think, like a year from now, if we are, you know, back to a fairly normal beer market. Dan, I'll pounce on this one initially. Yeah, I'm from my perspective, the wholesale business is where we want to go. 
Mm -hmm. uh, our tap room is obviously the front end that allows us to people to come in and try different things we're doing. It's a great uh, sandbox, if you will, for new products. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, it's really about growing our distribution network and growing our expansion into other states. Um, and where I'd like to see us be is, you know, getting that product into Ohio, getting across Ohio. Um, and then I think we're ready to take on the giants in Maryland. Um, and beyond. Hey, listen, Ohio has hundreds of local breweries that are out there fighting for that distribution. That's going to be a tough market to take on. I, I'll just tell you because I'm over there a lot. And it's, man, they're fighting among themselves for distribution. That You can't get shelf space over there. How are you going to do that? Um, well, no, I'm curious, really, how? So I, I, it's a different market than West Virginia, right? When yeah. I look at that market. Yeah, it's full. That market's about the product. That market's about bringing something unique that they don't have. Mm -hmm. That market's about labeling that says, hey, I've got award-winning beers that I'm bringing to market that I can now compete with because that sells for them. That sells in Colorado. That sells in California. It sells in Maryland, PA, and New York. Yeah. Uh, and and look, that, those those are the real keys i think in those types of markets i think each one of our states is slightly different uh and with a different focus west virginia is a novice craft beer market i think we all have to agree to that and and you know as, as much as i want to expand distribution in other states i'd also like to be able to continue to grow and educate the craft beer public in west virginia on what these products really are and what they're about yeah, we've still got a ways to go. I, I believe that very much. You know, we've got a lot of opportunity and a lot of headspace so we can we can grow our market yeah. here. I, I think we've made great strides, Charles, in the last several years. But like anything, I think there's always definitely a lot of room for growth. And, Agreed. And, and look, I think, you know, on top of it, uh, maybe I let a little bit of a cat out of a bag. I mean, Dan and I do see opportunity for Parkersburg Brewing Company brand and logo to be on international products um, and uh, we're definitely working on that already uh, that's clearly in the works with a collaboration product that hopefully will be launched in the midst of COVID this uh, uh, fourth quarter um, and uh, you may uh, you may see a can with our logo on it in Ireland the UK Belgium France and Germany oh well, that'd be great that yeah that would wonderful. be great yeah so uh, any other new products you'd like to, you're looking at, exploring? I mean, I know it's a big thing to just tackle uh, seltzers, so m maybe that's where your focus is. I don't know. Well, certainly, the, certainly this collaboration beer I just mentioned is something that will be coming up towards the end of the year around the holiday season. Um, it will be a product um, that is, and, and we've, we've done one before. I mean, if, if people look at our product line, they're going to see uh, that we do have uh, an, an Irish bracket in our product line. Uh, but we do intend to introduce a collaboration beer uh, towards the end of the year that is really a spin-off of that original recipe, but much, much better. Um, it'll also be the first bracket that would be brewed and potentially on sale in Ireland in 100 years. Um, wow. Um, you know, this is a product that wow. I personally am looking forward to. It's yes. a historical uh, style that does not get a lot of attention. Um, and, you know, the, the product that we currently have in our line has a bit of a cult following already. So 
you know, we viewed it as a, as a niche opportunity for us to move forward. And uh, it's very unique. It's high ABV beer. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, uh, like I said, uh, an old style um, that has a ton of history behind it. And it just has kind of fallen off the, uh, the radar screen, if you will, from the craft beer market. Well, you well, heard it here uh, first on uh, West Virginia Beer Roads. That's really exciting. Yeah. Dan, any, is there anything you want to add? No, I just, you know, Walt said it, that it had kind of fallen off the radar. I think what's interesting is that, you know, even with the history that that beer style has, you know, it's fallen off the radar in its home country as well. Um, you know, so to be able to bring that back the way we are, is, it's really exciting. And it's been a great collaboration opportunity for us. That's awesome. We look forward to it very much. And I think that that probably wraps up this session. Dana Walt, thank you so much for being on this episode of West Virginia Beer Roads. We really appreciate your time and we wish you the best of luck with everything. So cheers. Yeah, like, um, let me just add, uh, I think Walt, you're in Morgantown, right? I am in Morgantown right now. Yeah, and I just wanted to thank you for uh, getting those beers at uh, Mountaineer Field, you know, so we could actually get a Parkersburg beer at uh, Mountaineer Field. I loved it, at least last year. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.